<clears throat> so, so the goal is, uh, is um, you know, we could have done more philosophical uh, agadot that are, uh, you know, like a series of points agadot that they have a lot of those in uh, about rain, about Torah, about Tamirich HaChamim. Uh, they're great agadot in the first paragraph. We could have done that too. Maybe we could do that tomorrow. Uh, maybe we could do that tomorrow. Um, but I think that the... Uh, the story agadot are important because it's a, it, it gives us an opportunity. See, there's there's di- a lot of different variations of agadot in midrash. A lot of times, our goal is to try to see how the chachamim are uh, are explaining the text of the chumash or the navi and how they're shedding light on the meaning of the navi or the or the chumash. In the in agadot, it's more about it's not so much about how they get something from the pasuk because how they get something from the pasuk sometimes can be very creative. The goal uh, there, the it, it's more to understand what is the idea that the chachamim are trying to convey in their agadic statement, and um, and that's uh, uh, and that's independent of the, it's not necessarily a pirush of any particular. Uh, of any particular uh, a pasuk in that case, it's just a uh, it's just a um, a story that it, or or a statement that has some philosophical import. So we've seen that before. So let's do the story ones because actually, since we've already run into the time, and I want to make sure that the time schedule stays relatively uh, predictable on both ends. So um, let's uh, let's try to uh, do these Rebbe Chanan stories because I think a great um, a great advantage of doing these stories, in addition to the ideas behind the stories, which are very nice and memorable, and the stories are very memorable, but also uh, to give you an approach to understanding and interpreting weird story agadot, because there's a difference between the agadot that are phrased as like, uh, you know, uh, philosophical statements, and then they bring a pasuk to support it type of agada, and then you have to get into what is the philosophical statement, like, yeah, great is the day of rain, like the day of metim or something like that, and then try to understand what that means, you know, what's the analogy and what's the idea, versus a story that, you know, with those philosophical statements, you can really get into them, and you can, not that you take them at face value literally, but that you can kind of philosophize about what the meaning is and access the meaning, but what makes the stories more complicated is a lot of times they have, like, like fanciful elements to them that can be a distraction. And to what extent do you take those stories literally? To what extent do you take them figuratively? Why do the, Why are the stories presented in such an unusual manner? And so on, we're going to understand. So let's look at the bottom. On the bottom is where we, we see the opening uh, section that leads into Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa stories that are very interesting. Every single day, a divine voice goes forward and says, The whole world is sustained only because of my son, Hanina, which is Hanina ben Dosa. But my son, Hanina, only needs a basket of carobs from one week to the next, from Friday to Friday, meaning to say that the entire world is sustained abundantly. Uh, this is may, might remind you a little bit of the Eliyahu Navi idea that the, the Almana is sustained uh, by virtue of the Zechut of the Navi. And, uh, but also the Rambam in, a, in his very famous, uh, very famous uh, uh, statement uh, in the, uh, uh, the introduction to the Mishnah, 
where the Rambam uh, makes his claim that, you know, an entire civilization could rise and exist for uh, decades or centuries and then eventually fall. That's, that society could fall. And, and, and the whole reason why the society existed was just so that the ruins of that, uh, so that the ruins of that society could, uh, you, you not have a problem? I could, I could see him. We couldn't hear, hear you for the past minute. Oh, you can't hear me? Can you now? We hear you now. We didn't hear you for the past minute. Oh, okay. Now you can hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, so this is reminiscent, this idea of Hanina, Rabbi Hanina being sustained uh, by just Haruvim when uh, the whole world is sustained just for him is maybe similar to the idea of uh, uh, what the Rambam says in the Pirush Mishnah, where he says that an entire civilization could exist for a long time and, and rise and fall and be destroyed just so that Tzaddik could sit on one of the ruins of that mighty civilization and think about some deep philosophical reflection for a few minutes or whatever. Um, the idea that the, uh, the Rambam says that the material world exists as a base for the intellectual world. In other words, insofar as human civilization is concerned, the existence of human civilization for many, many hundreds of years could be worth it just to produce one Avram Avinu. It could be worth having all those generations, the 10 generations from Noah to Avram Avinu, just in order to produce one Avram Avinu. It could be worth having civilizations rise and fall just to produce or to sustain the work of one great mind who contributes to the intellectual and moral and spiritual life of the Jewish people. That's the idea of the... Um, of the uh, of the Agadah. So Hanina ben Dosa is significant because he's a person who embodies really what the objective of the whole Torah is about. The objective of exist of human existence is to produce, in other words, the species exists in order to produce those individuals who, because of their great understanding and their great de dedication to Avodat Hashem, lift the entire species to a higher level. In other words, they, that, that's the, the, it was worth having hundreds of years of, uh, of uh, relatively no progress just to produce that one person who uh, brings about a, a further step in the progress of, uh, of humankind. So, and, and even though that individual, and that's the irony of it, right, the individuals who contribute the most usually to our well-being and to our society are usually the people who desire the least in terms of material things, right? So Hanina ben Dosa desires the least in terms of material things, even though he might be the reason for those material things all to exist because society wouldn't exist without a lot of material things for everyone to be sustained, right? But he, and, and Hanina ben Dosa doesn't need those things uh, for himself, but he needs a society and a civilization to form a base for him to exist and thrive. So therefore it exists in order for him to be able to emerge. That's what the, uh, that's what they're saying. So there's a similar idea to really what the Rambam says in the Perush the Mishnah about, uh, about the civilization rising and falling to bring about the existence of the tzaddik, right? Now it says, now, so, so what it's trying to say to you from the very beginning is on one hand, Hanina ben Dosa is a great, per, is a person 
that it's worth having the entire civilization exist just for him. And yet, meaning an entire material civilization exists just to allow for a human being to achieve great heights of perfection like Hanina ben Dosa, but such a person by definition does not actually want to partake of those material goods very much. He just needs the base of a material of a society, a functioning society in which to live. But he doesn't actually reap the uh, ample uh, reward of living in such a uh, luxurious society. Let's say he's the, because that's not where that's not what he's interested in. That's not what he's into, right? But but by definition, that's not going to be what he's into, even though it's necessary. Because without that, you're not going to have a society functioning that's going to allow him to emerge. Okay. Now here's the story. Here's an example of a story of Agada that I want you really to reflect on what it uh, what you make of it. Okay. Great example of an Agadah that sounds very, very supernatural. And the question is, how do we take an Agadah like this? Hava Ragil, it says that he had the custom. Hava Ragil Devitu, his wife used to lemechmat akatra mishum kisufa. His wife, every Friday, would basically run the oven and put some stuff that made smoke in the oven just so it would look like they had food because she was embarrassed. They didn't even have challah to eat for Shabbat. So she would like run the oven and burn stuff in the oven so the smoke would come up and it would look like they had something to eat. Okay? Now it happened to be, they had a bad neighbor. Amra, she said, she said, I know these people don't have anything. They don't have any food. So uh, so uh, I'm going to go show that they're fakers, right? So my kulehai, what is the smoke coming out of the chimney that I know that they don't really have any food in their uh, fireplace or in their uh, oven? What is the smoke coming out of the roof? I know they don't really have anything. I'm going to go look. So so what happened was, the, uh, so she went, ababa. she went and banged on the door, okay? Then, so the wife of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was embarrassed that this neighbor came over. So she like went into the back room. She went over into the back room. What happens? A miracle happens. She saw that the, the oven was full of bread, actually. The oven was full of bread. The, uh, and and uh, and she saw the bowl, the kneading bowl, the mixing bowl was full of dough, ready for the next bread. So what did she say? Amrala, planita, planita. She said, Mrs., Mrs., like Mrs. Hanina Bendosa, whatever her name was, come. Because you'd better bring some like uh, kitchen implement to take the bread out of the oven because... Uh, uh, because because your bread is getting burnt. You better come take it out. And what did she say? Amrala, Mrs. Hanina Bendosa said, that's exactly why I went in the back room. I went to get a pen to take the bread out of the oven. Okay? And what did Zaytana? It was actually true. She really did go to get a pen to take the bread out of the oven. Why? Because she was used to having miracles happen and she knew it was going to happen that there was going to be bread in the oven. What do you make of this story? What would you make of the story? 
Right. But uh, what? So the basic storyline is that he never had any bread. This lady knew that they didn't have any money and any bread. She wanted to show them up and embarrass them once. She wasn't a very nice person. So she barged in. Mrs. Hanina Bendosa was embarrassed by the intrusion, seemingly. So she went to the back room. But then it turns out that actually the kneading bowl is full of dough and the, and the oven is full of bread. And, and Mrs. Hanina Bendosa went to get a pan to remove the bread. And in fact, the Brita says that she really did go to get a pan to remove the bread because she knew there was going to be a miracle. So then why was she embarrassed? Why did she, she go in the back room? Because she was embarrassed. It's, it, it, there's something weird about the story because I mean, um, why would she go in the back room? Because she was embarrassed if, uh, if really um, uh, she was planning on removing the bread from the, from the oven anyway. That's one question. The other question is, of course, um, why is it, I mean, besides the obvious miracle question of like what's going on that all of a sudden he, he's starving, the guy has no food normally, but when a lady is going to come embarrass him, all of a sudden there's magically there, there turns out to be food in the oven. Why is that? But um we can ask a different question, which is uh, in the uh, in why did they put why do you think they put uh, uh, wood in their oven every single Friday to pretend they had bread? I mean, what are they? Uh, why are they trying to fool everyone? What What's going on in the story? It seems like uh, on one hand, he doesn't want they, they want to pretend they want to save face and pretend that they have bread right in the oven. The lady next door tries to show them up that they don't have bread. Mrs. Hanina Bendosa looks at first like she's embarrassed because she goes to the back room and it says she was embarrassed. But then she comes out with a pan and says, oh, yeah, I was coming to get the bread. It's a very strange story. So what 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 do you make of the story besides um, there is that little aspect of the story that doesn't follow logically, right? which is that she went in the back out of embarrassment, but then she came out confidently and said, oh yeah, I was expecting that to happen. Right? So then why did she go in the back in She should have been happy to, if she knew there was going to be a miracle and there was going to be bread in the oven, so why didn't she, uh, why didn't she just stand there and let the lady come in? Rabbi, did, did she come out confidently? It seems like that's one of the final things, but the storyline, I think, is Right. So in the, in the storyline itself, it doesn't sound that way, but they're saying to us that no, she she really did mean it. She really uh, she really was going to get a a pan to remove the bread because she really believed that the uh, the bread was going to be there. Can you teach us the methodology of how you would look and dissect this, Mara? So okay. So the first thing I would assume is what Rabbi Avram Ben Arambam would tell would tell us is a principle of understanding all Agadot in the Shas, which is no miracle described in the Shas as happening to the Chachmei Agmara is literal. Because since they were not Nevi'im, they did not have miracles that violated the laws of nature. So if you're reading a story about, a, about something that sounds like a miracle that violated the laws of nature, either it's an exaggeration or it happened in a dream. So I don't think this happened in a dream. So I would immediately say that this is something that must have happened in a natural way, but that happens in a way that would seem miraculous. So therefore, the, uh, the it's described as a miracle happening. That would be my assumption. And then my question would be, okay, so then what's the lesson here? What actually happened and what's the lesson behind the story? Okay, yeah. Definitely not an answer, or just possibly a first step. Sorry, Block. Uh, the thought that she didn't have bread and she's 
uh, baking it, like burning something in her oven. And then in her eyes, the perception of what she had was not not relative, not substantial relative to her name. We're only seeing insight into the way she viewed what she was making for Shabbat. Right. Right. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, I would have assumed, I would have guessed or assumed that the reason why they put uh, firewood in their oven every Shabbat is meaning that they didn't want people to be aware that they didn't have, not because they uh, needed to show off, but because they didn't want to become a charity case. Meaning that they were satisfied with what they had and they didn't want people to think that they were needy because that would cause people to come and give them things and they didn't want to go down that route. They didn't want to end up in a, you know, having to be the beneficiaries of people's help. So they made it look like they had plenty because it said, it, it actually, the intro is, oh, my son Hanina is fine with a basket of carobs from one Friday to the next Friday. Meaning he didn't feel any need, but he also didn't want other people to feel, oh, that's not right that uh, this person doesn't have food and they're going to start bringing them gifts. He didn't want to do that. So they made it seem like they had food. Now, if I assume that, so the way I would interpret this Midrash is as follows. If I were reading this Agadah, the way I would assume what actually happened is, this, is like this, that really 99% of the time, that was the case. They didn't have bread. 99% of the time, they, their, their oven was empty and they were just burning wood to make it look like they weren't a charity case. Okay? And it just so happened that one week they had bread. It just happened to be that one week they ended up having bread for whatever reason. They ended up, you know, making a little more money or having whatever, and they ended up having bread that week. And it, and it was on that particular week that that lady decided to bother them, meaning that lady was probably seeing every week, oh, these people are, uh, who do they think they're fooling that they put uh, smoke in their oven every week trying to make it seem like they have what for Shabbat? And I know that they don't have anything. So she goes to bang on the door. It just so happened that the week that she went to bang on the door, they had dough and challah in the oven that they didn't usually have. Meaning the miracle wasn't that there was nothing in the oven and then magically bread appeared in the oven. The miracle was, you see, the type of miracle that happens in the Gemara is not a breaking of the laws of nature miracle. The miracle was the coincidence that it happened that so that Hanina ben Dosa would not be regarded as a charity case and embarrassed. So therefore that one day, that one Friday that that crazy lady decided to barge in and see what was really going on, it happened to be the day that they had challah. And that's why Mrs. Hanina ben Dosa was embarrassed because she's embarrassed that this lady obviously thinks they don't have challah. Right, she's embarrassed that this lady is coming over to check on her, but she really was going to get a pan to remove the challah from the oven because there actually was challah. See, that's how I would interpret the Agadah because Agadah is not supposed to be a story of miracles like the Rambam's son says. The stories in the Gemara are not supposed to be about real miracles in the sense of violations of the laws of nature, but, they're, but they are hashkacha pratit that happened in the lives of great tzaddikim and chachamim. And it would be ashkacha pratit for, since Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is sameach bechilko and doesn't want to become someone dependent upon 
people for his livelihood. So therefore Hashem arranged it so that the one time somebody made a, made a welfare check and it wasn't really done with a very kind eye. The one time somebody came to do a welfare check and if they had found that in fact there was no bread in the oven would have happily told everybody in the neighborhood that Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is pretending to have bread and has nothing. That one week, the week that she picked to barge in was the one week they had bread. Because it doesn't mean that they never had bread. It says that she was really gilad to do that. She oftentimes on Friday would put uh, something fake in the oven to simulate that they had bread when they did not. But it happened to be that that lady picked the wrong day to do a spot check from her perspective. So the Ashkacha Pratit is that Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, it's not just that, oh, now he has challah, that's so nice. The, 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 the point was he didn't want to exist in a, in a, he didn't want to be perceived as a charity case and have the people giving him things that he didn't feel that he needed for his own existence. He was happy. He was what he had. It allowed him to avert becoming the object of the people's pity and losing the respect of the people uh, and having to become dependent upon them. Yes. Rabbi, is the equate after that that Borel not helped Sadiqim accomplish their goal in this world? If he had this goal of not being a burden on his community, not being a charity case, they helped him accomplish that goal. Is that the point? Yeah. Of the yeah. It's Ashkacha Pratit on Rabbi Hanina Bendosa that he they wanted to live a certain way. That uh, was he was satisfied with a smaller amount. He was satisfied with what he had and he didn't want to become dependent on the people for his material sustenance um, because he wanted to, them to recognize uh, they didn't want him to, he didn't want them to relate to him in that way as somebody that was uh, so therefore they uh, so that's what it means by being embarrassed because what, what the embarrassment is just that he didn't want them to relate to him in that way. So that would have that would have uh, interfered with his sense of how his Avodat Hashem was supposed to go, that he was supposed to be a person that other people were dependent upon and that who didn't uh, depend on that. And so he wanted to avoid. So so Hashem made it that the, the person who was trying to show uh, it was trying to prove it untrue. They were putting up a, literally a smoke screen to prevent people from seeing what was really going on. And uh, the lady that tried to penetrate came on a time, came at a time that basically uh, they happened to be a time where they did have bread. So it wouldn't occur that he, he wouldn't have his, it wouldn't end up becoming someone who was perceived as a charity case and, uh, and, and, and uh, somebody who would lose the respect of the people. Yeah, so it seems like that's the whole thing. In other words, he he the the idea is that that Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, his he's the one who's really sustaining the world, not the other way around. In other words, he wants them to understand the idea that the person who's involved in Torah and involved in, in, in Kiddushah is really the cause of the sustenance of the world. And if the people have to come and support him because he's a charity case, so then it ends up reversing that perception and undermining that, that understanding. And it's an important understanding to have that the, uh, that the, uh, the existence of the world is dependent upon, is really that the real cause 
for why God sustains the world is to produce Rabbi Hanina ben Dosaso. And that way we're dependent on him and not the other way around. See, that's so that. Rabbi, can, we, can we reread the Gemara from the beginning now, understanding it the way we understand it? Yeah, I think I think it reads smoothly that way. Yeah, you, it, it's, yeah. I mean, you, you want to read it literally, read it through again? See, if you read it, right. I mean, if you read it, if you read between the lines, you see that there's a it's per, it's deliberately left vague to show you. In other words, a simple person will read the story and just say, wow, that's an amazing miracle story. But if you're reading between the lines, it says the wife of Hanina ben Dosa was accustomed to putting up fire in the oven even when they had no bread. It doesn't mean they never had bread, but she would do that even when they had no bread so that they wouldn't be embarrassed and people would not think that they're a charity case. That's all. They had a bad neighbor and she said, I know these people don't have anything. Why is there smoke coming out of the oven? So she walked in and it says, she went and banged on the door. So Mrs. Hanina Bendosa was embarrassed that somebody's coming to check on them like that they think that yeah, right even though she actually had something it's still a busha that they come it's like if child protective services knocks on your door even though you're not beating your kids it's still embarrassing like why why is this lady coming to my house I, why, why is she coming here and it's and and be, lo and behold there's uh, there's bread in the oven about to burn and there's a there's a there's a mixing bowl on the table full of dough so obviously mrs Khanina Bendosa was doing that she just didn't want to see this neighbor who was coming to check on her. And it's, it's, it's insulting. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's still offensive. And so meanwhile, she was going to get a pan to take the bread out anyway, but she, but the damage is already done in the sense that obviously that lady thought badly of them. Obviously, the point was that she was already embarrassed that this lady thought she didn't have anything. You know, and so the, the and, and that's the I, that's how I would read these stories and, and most of the stories like them. So, for example, the next story, Amrale Devitu, one day his wife said to him, meaning Hanina ben Dosa's wife said to him, Ad emat nizil How long are we going to suffer like this? You know, we're really, you know, we're just barely making we're, we're most of the time. All they had was the basket of carobs. They usually didn't have much to eat. So she said, how long are we going to go like this? So Amarla Maina Avi. What should I do? She said, why don't you, you know, you pray for everybody else. The famous stories of the prayers of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Why can't you pray for us that we would get something for once? That we could have something for once. So he does it. Okay, he does. A hand came out of the sky. Very interesting. Okay. And gave him one leg of a golden table. Okay, that said that could be worth a lot of money. And what happens? So he saw in his dream that. Uh, that all the tzaddikim were sitting at golden tables with three chairs, with three legs, rather. Ve'ihu, it should say. His table only had two legs. It didn't have three. In other words, he basically took an advance on his olam haba. Right? He cashed in part of his olam haba early. So he told his wife, Right? 
He said, Nichalach, the Mechal Achlei Kulei Alma, Aptora, the Mishlam, the Anan, Aptora, the Mechsar. He said to his wife, Is it good for you that all the tzaddikim are going to have complete tables and we're going to have deficient, broken table in Olam Abba? She said, what can we do now? Right? Ask Hashem to take it back from you. So uh, he asked for Hashem to take back the golden uh, leg and he took it back. Tana, the rabbi said, the, the second miracle is bigger than the first one because we have a tradition that they might give you from heaven in advance, but they don't take it back. Right? So the question is, what is this story about? What happened in this story? We're assuming again, if we proceed with the assumption that, uh, that these stories do not refer to literal miracles that occurred to Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, but they refer in some way or another in a miraculous language or a miraculous uh, presentation to things that happened naturally. So then the question is, what happened to Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa in this story for real? What actually happened? Okay, what actually happened? So what would you say? using kind of like that approach of assuming that something natural happens here, but it's being presented in a miraculous way for the effect to show that it's a divine intervention. So what, what, what was it? The whole thing was even, not just the, the part of him seeing the three legs, the whole entire thing, even him receiving one leg could have just been the part of the dream. You mean the, the part with the hand? Yeah, so yeah. so one one possibility is that the entire story is part of the dream. That's a good point. You could say that. In fact, the, the Rambam's son says that's one of the ways you can look at it is that his wife told him to pray for it. He prayed to get some money, and basically he went to sleep and had a dream where he got this golden table leg, but then it turned out that in Olam Haba he had a bad table, right? The whole thing could be a dream, right? That's possible. There's another possibility uh, that what it means is that he prayed for himself to have some financial success and he had a windfall of some kind. I mean, he, you know, he ended up coming into some money. He ended up having a windfall of some kind after he prayed for it. And because he had that financial windfall for a short time, things seemed better. But then he realized that his it compromised his perfection to have that windfall. In other words, part of his part of his, uh, his avodah, in other words, part of, so why could the other tzaddikim have a full table in Olam Abba when they don't suffer like Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, but he gets only a partial table in Olam Abba just for having a little bit of money? What's the reason? There were lots of tzaddikim who had a lot of money. Rabbi Udana was one of the richest people in the world in his time. What, what, what's the problem? The problem is that he recognized, and I think this goes back to that opening statement again, the opening statement said, the whole world is sustained because of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, but Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is sustained uh, only, by, only by the Caribs, the Charuvim, from week to week. In other words, the idea is that part of his mission was to demonstrate this idea that the highest good, the highest benefit, the, the thing that was most important was the, the, the spiritual and not the material. 
And therefore, it would take away from his mission. It would take away from his, uh, his what he perceived as his, uh, his one, part of his purpose as a tzaddik uh, was to demonstrate this idea and it would compromise that. Just like if the people perceived them as being a without any sustenance and being in a needy state, then they would try to give him more things and it would reverse his, uh, what he was trying to teach them, what he was trying to convey. So in the same way, if he came into uh, a windfall of money, it would take away his ability to be an example to them of, uh, of the idea that he was sustaining himself on a minimal amount in order to show that what really sustains mankind is right? So that, and so therefore he wanted to give it back. Right. And the point is that once a blessing comes in, it's harder to get rid of it. In other words, he it, it's a uh, somehow he lost it after that. Right. The point is that it, it was taken away, it was lost. So meaning once Hashem does a miracle in your life to then create a situation where it uh, evaporates is uh, is even more unusual. So instead of just adapting to the situation of now having some money, he wanted it out of his life because he didn't want the perception that um, that he was somebody who had a lot of means because then he would just be like everybody else. He wouldn't be a person who showed the primacy of the spiritual over the physical in his life, which was what his goal, uh, what his goal was. Okay, yeah. Small point. Also, it's not just that it would be deficient and borrowing on his uh, on his spiritual reward. It's not even that they were eating on, maybe I'm being too uh, particular about the example, but they weren't eating with four-legged tables and he was on a three-legged table. He was on a two-legged table, which I think doesn't even exist. Right. Even, uh, it's not a stable. Even right. Stand on he, was, he was eating into his, uh, his spiritual reward to a debilitating point. Right. Which is another way of saying that basically he felt that his mission in the world was tied to the idea that he didn't have money. That, that, that was part of his purpose. Part of his purpose was to show this idea of this Kiddush Hashem, this aspect of, 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 the, of, uh, of Kiddush Hashem that was that was part of his uh, purpose. So he, it, would be, it would be diminished if suddenly he also became uh, it, it came into a comfortable position like everybody else. You know, that's that, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. This might be a little bit off track from the Gemara, but is there an actual idea of somebody, whether it's through a miracle happening to them or just general blessings happening to them, that they're borrowing it from their Allah that people could apply it to their lives? So I, I don't, I don't, yeah. I, there is an idea of like, you have a certain amount of sakhar that, you know, you, you, you have and, and you could spend it, you could waste it, I guess. But I don't think that's what it's talking about because in this case, we're speaking about his olama ba, you know, the, the olama ba sakhar is not material uh, sakhar. It's metaphorically, you know, uh, uh, sort of like uh, metaphorically presented to us in a physical sense of sitting at a table and eating a feast but really it's a spiritual uh, reward really. So you can't directly translate from the spiritual reward into a, into a material reward. It doesn't, really, it doesn't really add up. I think the idea, that's why it makes more sense to say that the concept is that he felt that his mission, the mission for which he was going to be deservant of Sakhar and Olam Abba was gonna be compromised if he uh, became a wealthy person. 
So it might make his life easier and make him help him to focus on his avodah uh, with greater concentration and have more yeshuv hadat, but he would be sacrificing this principle, which is probably why that principle of, of Rabbi Yehuda Marav in the introduction to the story is the introduction to these two stories because it's showing you that um, that he uh, that he th- part of what he represented was this idea. He, rep- he embodied this idea that the sustenance of the world is in order to facilitate the tzaddik, but the tzaddik isn't interested, isn't involved in the in, in the uh, material things. He's, it's just a base for him, and so he in, and that's part of what he represented. So we've compromised that if in either of these two cases, things had gone otherwise. So it's, of course, it's, it's presented to us in a miraculous language. But if we understand that, that yes, it is, it is miraculous. There is Hashem playing a role here, but Hashem is playing a role really in a way that might be natural, but by presenting it in a miraculous way, it wants to show you. In other words, this showed a, told a story about uh, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. One time, you know, a lady was going to come over and she happened to say, walk in on the day that they had bread in the oven. It doesn't have the same sense that it was a divinely orchestrated occurrence. Or, you know, oh, one day Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa just happened to find a wad of bills uh, in, the, in the street and then he had a lot of money. Okay, it's a great story for the, uh, you know, uh, but it's, it, it wouldn't have the same feel as uh, you know, he received this golden table leg, which means that he basically took away to a certain extent from his divine mission, um, Hashem, because he asked, in other words, he, he wanted his personal perfection to be easier to attain. So he, uh, he wanted a more comfortable material life, but it, it, in order to do that, he had to compromise the, the Kiddush Hashem that was being manifest through him that that was not supposed to be the way that he uh, served God, that he was able to serve God without that. You know, so that, that's the way that it's presented in a miraculous way is to drive home the idea that it was orchestrated by Hashem, even if it is, uh, it happened in, through natural means. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's one more story, but I guess you guys have to take a break now, right? Do you want to do one more story or do it or not? Yeah. Okay. Are you okay with it? Yeah. So, uh, do you want to take a break? No, I'm fine. So, does your wife want you to take a break? I don't think so. I, she, I think she took my daughter to about mitzvah or something. Okay, so let's do one more story and then take our break. Okay, let's see what the next story is. Um, so, uh, Oh, there's a couple more stories about him, actually. All right, so uh, okay, one Friday nights, he saw that his daughter was very upset. And what happened? She said, uh, Why are you upset? Uh, a, uh, uh, I accidentally, I went to light the Shabbat candle and instead of lighting oil, I lit vinegar. Now, I don't know if vinegar is flammable or not. I'm not sure, but um, I don't think so, right? Wouldn't be, right? 
Right, so, so she's very upset. So she said, And I lit the light of Shabbat with that. So he said, uh, So Amarla, he said to her, Biti, my daughter, what difference does it make to you? The same one who said that oil will burn could say that the vinegar will burn. Okay? Tana, hayad dolek veolech kol hayom kulo ad sheviu mimeno or leavdala. Not only did it light, it lit all day long, all the way till havdala time. So not only did it light, not only did it burn in the way that a uh, a normal candle of oil would burn, but it actually went even beyond that, uh, all the way to a uh, to be a uh, uh, you know all the way through to havdala. So it, it was like a, one of those 24-hour candles, right? It functioned. So not only did it not extinguish immediately, which is what we would expect, but it even went way beyond what we would have expected from the best candle available, right? So what is this? Uh, what is the point of this story? How do you explain this one? Get an understanding that the laws of nature are all governed by. Uh, it don't have to make sense to us. The same way uh, oil is flammable is as much of a, uh, a miracle, so to speak, as anything else being flammable. Right. Uh, right. So one way is to take it, take it literally, and uh, at face value, and say that uh, a miracle happened, and the lesson is that that really what runs the world is the will of God. So the will of God, like the Ramban actually says in Chumash, you know, everything is Nisim, really. So if you want to be honest, everything is really Nisim. So uh, there's no bigger ness in the fact that oil burns than there is in the in a vinegar burning. I mean, it's they're both, uh, they're both miraculous. Hashem, uh, everything that we see is, is incredible and amazing. And so therefore, what's the difference? Oil versus vinegar, right? So in that case, it's teaching kind of a... Uh, philosophical idea about the laws of nature, but it also presupposes that uh, that what would seem to us from our perspective as an actual miracle actually happened, right? So with that, so that's one way to uh, one way to read it. That a a fluke occurred and it actually did burn all uh, Shabbat long. That would, be that would be a real miracle, right? Like a like a metaphysical miracle, right? Right. That seems to be like a genuine violation of the laws of nature type of a miracle, right? That's what it sounds like. So, true. You could you could interpret it that way. You could read it that way, and probably I would think most people do read it that way. And if not, I'm not mistaken, the Ramban himself, when he says that in that in that commentary where he talks about everything is really a miracle, I think he quotes this. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa as a support for that idea that everything really is a miracle and there's no really such a thing as the laws of nature to begin with because everything is a miracle and so on. You could learn it that way for sure. But there's another way that's also possible. Is there, is there a clue that we, that we should be getting from the fact that it's a moment? I was thinking that. Yeah, I was thinking that that might be a clue. That it could be, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. What are you thinking? 
I noticed that also. I noticed that also as I was reading it as something unusual. She didn't say I switched oil for chometz. She said I switched the klishel chometz and the klishel uh, shemen. That's Meaning that it's actually possible. It's actually possible that 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 it was uh, that it wasn't uh, chometz. Completely chometz. Right. Like, Right. refilling the containers, she put the oil into the formats and it was actually a mixture. Right, there could have actually been oil in there. Yeah. But that's why, would it, why would it stay wrong? What's the proof? That's oh, why? Yeah, it could be. But, um, I kind of read I tried a cynical thing. Maybe nothing ever lit and he just, we're trying to understand what happened in reality. Maybe nothing lit and he just consoled her with some perspective. Right. It sounds like a. It sounds like an exaggeration, even for a regular candle to do that, right? So I, you know, I think I don't know. It's possible. Like I think what Ariel's saying might be true, but um, it's uh, my my take on it. If I wanted to be, if I wanted to imagine what I thought. Rabbi Avram ben Arambam, how he would read this Agadah, which I try to do. I try to imagine how would he read it as someone who's going to operate with the premise that these miracles are not violations of the laws of nature. So then had, what do you make of a miracle story like this is that somehow Rabbi Hanina ben Dosat trusted that Hashem would not allow, uh, he wouldn't allow him to not have light for Shabbat. Meaning it's not that he, it's not that the, uh, but but the reason why that's a harder interpretation is because he doesn't say that as the reason. But he says that the reason is that Hashem can make the chometz burn just like it makes the oil burn. Which would seem to suggest that the shot of the story is that maybe there's a one in a million chance that, or, that, uh, that the vinegar could burn and that one in a million chance happened. Right, that's that. That's the. Uh, it, it's hard to read this story as a story in which no miracle happens because Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa says that the same Hashem who made the oil burn can also decree for the chometz to burn. Right. So even though you could try to you could try to soften it and say that really she switched the kelim, but actually she did put oil in the container. You could say that. But that takes away from what Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is saying. The lesson is, because he's saying that the lesson is that uh, that Hashem could make the uh, the chometz burn, and if there's even a small percentage chance that uh, that it could be combustible, that it will happen. Yeah. All right. Maybe you could look at this story in the context of all the stories and say that, like, these are all like legends. Or allegories, or whatever you want to say, told about and he represents like one idea that goes through all the stories. So, like in the first story, in which um, he's the source of all of the parnasah, despite the fact that he has no ones. This story, the, the thing that you expect to like the least is what likes the most in God's eye. Right. Like that. So it's almost as if there's this one theme throughout of our perceptions of what should be 
are not necessarily so when you look at it from the eyes of God. Right. And, and maybe like all these stories are more, are, are all three of them are just like they're told, they're just exaggerations or allegories to make that point clear as opposed to like, because it's very hard to come up with a, with an individual interpretation for each story that, that takes away the magical element of the story. Especially of this one. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Like the lesson, the lessons, the overarching theme seems to be that the intellectual or spiritual is more real and more definitive than the material. Right. right? right. And it's it, that, that the real cause of how things work in existence is not the material causes that you think, but actually the spiritual purpose is what drives uh, what's going on in the world. And so, yeah, this story kind of ex- is, is trying to communicate that same idea. And in, this, and in the context, like Shabbat really is a day where the material, it, it's actually the ultimate example of basically a day where all of the material means that we have are made into an instrument of the spiritual. That's what Shabbat is. So it would fit really well with that idea that basically that candle burned all the way the entire uh, Shabbat to the Havdalah, meaning it bridged that entire spiritual time, which normally is supposed to be, uh, you know, sustained by the physical, and the physical is supposed to be its partner or its uh, means to uh, uh, to keep it going, that that happened despite the fact that proper preparation wasn't made. And, and be, you know, I mean, that, that that's a way of saying it. Like, like you're saying, like, it could be an exact, it's a, the story could be uh, an exaggeration, you know, it's an exaggeration. Maybe it's an exaggeration also that the candle uh, burned all the way from Arab Shabbat all the way to Motzei Shabbat. But the idea is that even in a situation where the material is not sufficient to sustain the uh, the spiritual, so the spiritual still triumphs, and ultimately the Shabbat, you know, the light of Shabbat burns, you know, kind of like the Chanukah idea, you know, it could be. I mean, that does fit with the theme of all of these stories, that's for sure. But the problem, the problem is that when we interpreted the first two stories, we interpreted them individually and, huh? and uninterpreted the miracle. Right. But we got stuck on the third one. I mean, maybe the first two also have to be interpreted as, as Hawaii and part of this greater theme rather than, than to be interpreted and for the miracle to be interpreted away. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't. Either way, you're interpreting the miracle away. The difference is that um, you're going to just say that it's just a legend and it's symbolic just that it's it's the lashon havai is that it's expressed in an exaggerated way. So meaning, and you could say the same thing in the case of the daughter. Maybe there was a situation where the Shabbat candles weren't prepared exactly as they should have been, and uh, there could be, in other words, a factual basis uh, to each of these stories that then is um, exaggerated in the miraculous tone and the lashon havai. Right. You could say that about this case, too, that something happened that the candles were not properly set, were not properly prepared. They thought they were going to sit in the dark on Shabbat and whatever. And it turned out that 
things fell into place and it turned, it worked out. And, you know, uh, it's a testimony to the spiritual over the physical. And, you know, the story gets uh, couched in the most extreme terms of vinegar versus oil and a 24 hour burning instead of a four hour burning, you know? So, you, so when I think in each of these cases, yeah, you can make the argument that they're all legendary stories, but it could be that each of them, and I, my, my intuition tells me that likely that each of them has a factual basis behind it, just that it is uh, subject to uh, a little bit of a fanciful uh, expansion and revision to make it, um, to, you know, to drive home the divine aspect of the, of the story. But really that they are all, uh, they're all, they all have a factual base. That, that, that's my inclination to think that they do. You, you, I could be wrong and you could be right, but I, I, I feel like it makes sense to assume there's some factual uh, narrative behind it that was that was reworked into this uh, fabulous narrative. Right, I don't disagree. I just think that the cue will be to, to there must be something with that which Rabbi Hanab and Osa represented in the minds of the Hakamim who are telling the story. Right. And, and I think that was what Rav, that's what the beginning where it says that, you know, kola olam nizon is the idea that the physical world exists really to support the spiritual and intellectual. So we, you know, he's the, he is the rock that, uh, the, you know, the sustenance of the world is based upon, you know, and therefore the material world conforms to, uh, to support him. Now, when is the one time? Uh, the prophecy of the, of, the, of the spiritual world. Over yeah. And then, and then, and then it would make sense that the one miracle that he actually benefited from and didn't return it was the Shabbat candle, because Shabbat candle actually represents the spiritual. In other words, it creates the environment that's necessary on Shabbat to be able to have the, the meaning of Shabbat. So, so there it wasn't about material benefit. It was about a spiritual benefit because, you know, the light of Shabbat is what enables the Shabbat to be meaningful. Right. So so I, I think it fits perfectly, but I think your point is well taken. The, the, the stories are somewhat legendary, could have a, a real basis behind it. But the main point is uh, is to understand the idea that these exaggerated stories are trying to capture. And you shouldn't be afraid of taking an Agada like this, assuming that it's teaching an idea and that it's exaggerated. And uh, you can try to like I tried uh, to maybe find the core, the factual core behind the Agadah. I, I like to do that because um, I feel like you usually can. And then, uh, and then, but beyond that, of course, the idea and the theme is the most important thing. Like Rabbi Levi has said, he's absolutely right. Yes. So just to look, look at the Quran, kind of like what Jordan was saying, it's not the story that says that the light continued to move, the, 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 the candle continued to light. It sounds like there's no light at all. It sounds like he was trying, was trying yeah. to, to comfort his daughter by saying, like, I would do the same thing if my daughter was crying. I would say, don't worry, it's not a big deal. So you made a mistake, who cares? Something yeah. along with my thought, but who cares? It's not a big deal. And then it says, the, the Tana is, yeah. the, the Tana later on, so like, oh, no, no, but, but the candle did light. And it was good for a whole week. I hear you. So you, you, could, you could even, you could even, you could even take it a notch down and say maybe the candle didn't burn, but his point was, look, that's up to Hashem. It's in Hashem's hands. Uh, he yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you did your part. You, you, you tried your best. Okay, so we fail sometimes. That's okay. It's in God's hands. Kind of showing this humanity, the way, the way you, you would right. treat someone who, who, who tried hard but didn't, didn't succeed. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I hear that. Know. I could hear that. I, I think my, um, you know, there's a, there's a principle in Meshivina La Agada. 
we, you know, there's no like absolute answers in, in Agada. We don't, uh, and we, you know, so therefore we, we kind of take it as we, uh, as we, uh, as our intuition says. So I hear what you're saying totally. I, I wouldn't out, I wouldn't rule it out as a possible interpretation. My own sense, like my own intuition, seems to lean towards the other side that there is an idea that uh, that something happened that ended up being uh, fortuitous that it did last that the candle was there, but that you know that proper preparation wasn't made and that the exaggeration is in the description of the you know the oil and vinegar. Uh, contrast and the amount of time that it lasted, but I, I'm, you know, I'm not wedded to that idea. That's what you're saying. Also, might be true. Maybe to marry the two ideas, you could say that um, the the situation with his daughter actually did happen. I mean, she did switch. She actually accidentally did pour the vinegar instead of the, the, the wine, instead of the oil, and she was upset about it. And if you if you think about the purpose of the of the, of the candle, like you said, the, the purpose of Shabbat candle is for Onik Shabbat, right? It's right. to present it to the Shabbat. So maybe his words of comfort were was the replaced that candle of the sun. And that was the Onik Shabbat. That was what was directing the entire Shabbat. It's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a stretch from the text, but but hey. Why? Why? It doesn't say it, to be this different text. It doesn't say that the mayor was alive. It said Hayad Meaning something was lit and that carried them. All the way through Shabbat. I mean, okay. That was what presented that comfort presented them with going to Shabbat. Like it presented, like what you were saying, something to laugh about rather than Shabbat. Instead of ruining her Shabbat, Shabbat all uh, the whole time that she felt that she uh, messed up Shabbat. I hear you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not discounting it. I'm, I'm not discounting it. I, I hear it as a possibility. You can be creative with these things. Is there a pattern to the, the, the story? Like, can, we, can we read it to the pattern of the story? Like. The first one is about his image, the second one is wife, the third one is daughter, the fourth one is properties. Like, is there yeah. a pattern to that? And it's showing us generally how to how to respond to the world, how to respond to people's image of you, how to respond to your wife, how to respond to your kids, how to respond to yeah, your possessions. My, so my, my impression is that these stories are all tied. I mean, I never really sat down and learned these stories as a series like we're doing now. So I never really thought about it before. But as we're talking now, my impression is that all these stories go back to that original statement of Rabbi Uda in the beginning. That, you know, that 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 Rabbi Hanina bin Dosa wasn't just a particular tzaddik or, you know, Talmud Chacham, but he was representative of a certain idea or ideal that is not easy in the material world to sustain, especially when you have a wife and you have, and you have uh, children, to be able to, to sustain that kind of idea can be very demanding, practically speaking, but he held himself to this principle because he felt that it's a fundamental idea that people should understand of the primacy of the spiritual over the physical, and therefore he, he dedicated himself to that and he, and he endured self-sacrifice to, uh, to be a, an example of that. And uh, it's similar to like, you know, it's a, it's a, there, there are stories that go both ways. You have stories about Chachamim that were very wealthy and the way that they did Kiddush Hashem was by, even though they were wealthy, uh, you know, sticking with learning. And then there were people like uh, Hillel who were very poor 
And their, their Kiddush Hashem was that they, despite being very poor and being distracted by poverty, they d- dedicated themselves to Torah. So Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is in that category too. And the stories show how this, um, this derech of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa played itself out in his family. I, I, I think there's a, it, but the idea is really the idea that the Rambam says in the, in the Hakdamat of the Mishnah. It's, that's really what the whole idea is. That he, and he was, he was uh, embodying that idea, that idea of how the tzaddik is the, uh, like tzaddik yisod olam, like the Pasuk says, you know? Yes? If we were going to put aside whether it's literal or not literal, what would be the main lesson? That, it seems like there are two lessons. One is what uh, he says to his daughter, and the other lesson is what the Tana is telling us that it lasted through all the Shabbat. So what, right. would, what, would, the, what would the the main lesson be for the reader of what we're trying to what are we trying to take from the story? The main lessons that are Well, I mean, the, the if you take that additional embellishment of the Tana that he adds to it, I mean, the whole concept, if you're saying that basically the concept is uh, putting aside the miraculous or not miraculous, whether it happened, didn't happen, and so on, like Rabbi Levi was saying, you put that aside and you say that, um, and you say that uh, the idea really, the theme is that the spiritual, the spiritual, triumphs over the physical that 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 the physical is ordered to the the promotion of the spiritual and the spiritual is is the prime right and so therefore um in a situation of uh, even in a situation where there was insufficient or improper preparation of the physical it could nonetheless end up being that it will serve the purpose of the spiritual because Hashem's providence will be such that the spiritual will be able to be sustained even by the limited material base. And the idea of what the bright of the Tana is, not only could that messed up physical preparation meet the basic requirements, it could even be better sometimes than a good preparation. And that does sometimes happen, meaning that that sometimes a, a botched situation turns out to yield more fruit than a properly prepared situation because at the end of the day, you don't know how it's going to really go. You know, so so therefore, uh, so therefore, it could be that even the botched uh, the botched Shabbat candle ends up burning uh, five times longer than a regular Shabbat candle. But that's just a metaphor for the idea, maybe that the that the spiritual trumps the physical, and there are circumstances where an inferior physical setup can actually end up being even more successful because it's in God's hands and God's purpose, God's eye is to the spiritual uh, objective. And he works through the material, and sometimes uh, even the improper material or the insufficient material will will meet the spiritual objective. Like in Hanukkah, where you have a limited material base of oil or a limited material base of soldiers or whatever it is that you have a limited material base, and they end up triumphing over the circumstances with the odds against them. You know, that's that 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 would be the the theme, I think. Okay, so so we're gonna do uh, continue with Eliyahu in what about forty five minutes? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, let's say one fifteen because we're we're on a little late. Give yourselves like some time to have lunch and. Okay. All right. See you. Bye bye.